When one question on the exam was hard, so you left it to the end and never filled it out. Except it's the schedule. It's not so MLS. <laughs> like, where's this going? <laughs> a North American soccer pack podcast with myself, Andrew Bates, and Nick Thornton. Hello. Nick, how are you? Oh, I'm doing all right. How are you? You had a you had a a, a soccer you you had a soccer dust up yesterday here. I had a bit of a dust up yesterday. I got called in by a a Sunday team, and I was like, ah, I just need to go get some fresh air, run around. And two minutes into the match, I'm defending, and the attacking player who goes past me at first, I go to like match his run, and he, I mean clips, rakes, whatever verbiage you want to use, the back of my ankle and immediately I can feel it and I, and then I like go to take a step and my leg just buckles so I think it's a, an Achilles heel Achilles tendon something but it's not good um, You were saying that it feels bad, that, that, that you kind of don't understand how, uh, how it, it hooks into the rest of your leg functions until it's not working yeah, like it turns out your Achilles heel is, is literally your Achilles heel, metaphorically and literally, because uh, it, like, it just controls a lot of stuff, it turns out. So feeling a little hobbled. However, I was working from home before, so it's not like I had a ton of places to go. But injuries suck. Every time I get injured, I, I do think of like actual athletes getting injured and being like, I mean, it pisses me off. I can't imagine having your livelihood at stake. And, you know, especially players that have multiple injuries. I just have all the empathy in the world for them. Because even small little ones, when you are just a regular person, sucks. You will be, uh, from your from your, your, your healing position, you will be able to watch the MLS's back final tonight, tomorrow night. I will, yes. Um, and the weirdest possible final anyone could have predicted we were both hoping hoping it would happen uh it is all gonna kick off because (laughs) i mean an orlando portland final just seems fun no i agree with that i think that i think that even beyond the like the our football brains are just wired in to say you know home team home team doing well interesting uh it's <laughs> like a as like a response like ah yes the tournament is orlando and orlando is also doing well <laughs> except there are no there are no fans to watch so i don't know if the sentimental element is is there the same maybe and, that's what's been holding orlando back this whole time is their incredible fan base support has just put too much pressure on them and they perform <laughs> they perform better behind closed doors but i think it is even even though I uh, you know there's a part of me in my brain that's like is it just because it's in Orlando I really felt that they have been one of the protagonist teams of the tournament with with some of the you know playing in the opening match and and having some key results um, over the course of the tournament both in the the um, knockout stage in in the preliminaries that make you think wow Orlando could really do something um, and and certainly in the last couple of days. Um, it has been the MLS hype machine has turned its eyes to Nani. Sure. And we'll get to it, but I think for very good reason. Yes, of course. I mean, I just think it's funny that it's almost like they, 
The only reason why I word it like that, it's not because I think that Nani is not deserving. Sure. But because Nani got so less attention, despite being, it's like almost sort of like he's a break, uh, former Premier Leaguer break glass in case of emergency for the MLS social, for the, for the MLS, you know, social media and, and, and media things where it's like when, when the, the, the league's true darlings are around. It's like, ah, yes, and Nani is here. But it's like, we have an angle to promote in this fight. Or Nani scored an amazing goal, and now we have something to talk about. Two of them. Uh, I mean, here's the... But let's be real, though. Like, none of us really expected Nani to come in and blow away MLS. Everybody who was familiar with him knew his quality and knew that he would do good. But he was also coming in as a DP in an Orlando team that is purchased players like this before to, yeah. to little avail, right? I mean, I I feel like it's you can put Kaka and uh, Nani on the same level as as professionals um, in terms of the impact they can have. Um, well, I would say that Pete Kaka is well above where Pete Nani is, but I think that uh, Nani was closer to Pete when he arrived in Orlando, and Kaka was kind of a little bit more on the outs at that time. Yeah, well, and and I think that Nani is one of those rare uh, exceptions to the rule about older players, quote-unquote, retiring to MLS, is that he clearly still has something to prove, um, some plenty of gas in the tank, it seems. His stamina seems great. His fitness looks great. You know, he's playing like he's 29. Um, and also is, I, I think, just such a amazing all-around player that he actually mm-hmm. has the benefit that everybody hopes a DP has, which isn't just coming up with big moments in big games, but is actually lifting the quality of the entire team. And you see how it is settled. A player like Chris Mueller, who was very good and showed a lot of promise before his arrival, now all of a sudden has a player like that who's mentoring him. Uh, you know, his his timing has gotten better. His awareness has gotten better. His finishing has gotten better. And that's work that he's put in. But it's clear that Nani has had an effect on his teammates and can play just about anywhere on the pitch as well. So, I mean, that's the other <laughs> the other part of it. I mean, you could, sure, you could say uh, Schweinsteiger could play anywhere on the pitch or rather was forced to. And mm-hmm. just because he's so good, he, he can be a center back and do an okay job of it. Um, but Orlando also has a great coach now and uh, a good team. It's probably not surprising to to those of us that were watching Orlando last year and seeing them making moves and and beginning to actually become a cohesive unit but certainly I don't think any of us really thought they'd make it quite this far in this tournament no and and certainly to have a a a last five or sorry a a last four of, of teams that were all sort of um, maybe Portland is the exception to this, but uh, punching above their weight to a certain extent. To some extent, Certainly. yeah. I mean, I think that's the interesting thing about this whole tournament, right? Is is that it does tilt everything kind of on its head because you have teams that people expected would come in at a at a very high level and and didn't for various reasons. I mean, um, I feel like it's been very hard to know what to expect from certain teams. Um. 
the interesting thing to me was how this all kind of came about because it, in many cases it almost sort of didn't happen. Um, Orlando beat LAFC on penalties and that, and that one certainly went down to the wire and many times felt like it, it was going to be LAFC that was advancing through that. That was that was that seemed very entertaining to me. Yeah. Um I mean, and early on, too, is another game where, like, LAFC gets an opening goal through BWP, but it's called back. Then um, Palacio takes down Ruan from Orlando in the box, and then Nani flubs the penalty kick. So as good as he is, he's still human. Um, and it's it's a game that feels like it could sort of go either way, but maybe a little bit chaotic from Orlando. And then Rossi has this great midfield play where he just... Robs, uh, I forget the player from Orlando, but I um, believe it was their left back, and he's just not really paying attention. Loses the ball to Nani, who finds or who loses the ball to Rossi, and then Rossi finds BWP, and then it's one nothing, and you think like, okay, well this is how LAFC conducts business, and then Matias Brad, Bradley Wright Phillips finally getting his or getting his goal back after the the first one being um, disallowed. I mean, Bradley Wright Phillips is always going to get his goal, right? Like, he can have two or three goals called back. He's still going to score another one eventually in a match. Um, and then Jao Moutinho, who was uh, formally signed by LAFC but only played one year there, uh, just sinks one late um, from a corner and forces this one to PKs, which at, at that point it, it really does kind of just become anybody's game, and, and both teams looked pretty pretty exhausted. Um but I really feel like if, if there's a moment that, you know, if Orlando goes on to win this thing, we can look back at it. It might be this game where uh, you have, you know, arguably the best team in the league, certainly one of the best attacking teams in the league, held to just one goal. Um, and and you're able to tie it up late, which gives you the momentum to, to go and win it in PKs. Absolutely. Um Certainly, the fact that other than that, like um, because that disallowed goal didn't count, LAFC didn't get a shot in the first half, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that being able to 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 pull together that 90th minute goal is something that the group is going to remember and bring and and galvanize them. Uh, it is unfortunate in the shout out that uh, the the shootout that your friend and mine, uh, uh, Jordan Harvey. Mm. was put in the unenviable position of, of not making the penalty. Um, but I also really enjoyed something that I thought that made this match memorable to me is that you have that... Um, oh, and I wanted to mention with the Jao Moutinho goal that that was a corner from Nani. So the, another example of what you're saying about the the uh, the improvement all across the pitch. Um, but that... The... Circular narrative of the game is that um, Vermeer saves Nani's penalty, and then it's Vermeer and Nani at the end of the shootout, and, and he scores this time. And I think that that makes that makes for uh, an entertaining start to finish storyline in the game. If you were are looking at it from the you know the um, the narrative perspective, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I I really do feel like LAFC had a, a pretty great tournament. I mean, also the fact that they didn't have Carlos Vela and, and, and struggled at points certainly looked still very much like an LAFC side and, and like they could do dangerous things. 
Um, but Orlando's able able to do it. One of the interesting results for me, I, I kind of wasn't sure how to tackle talking about um, Philadelphia. <laughs> like, kind of where do, do we start and go back and right. be like, well, the bad news is they made it through and then got knocked out. But overall, I feel like Philadelphia, Philadelphia really performed to their levels in this tournament. And, you know, maybe it's a little bit disappointing they didn't go further, but I kind of felt like they made it to the point that they they should have. I think it would mm-hmm. have been a big disappointment had they not made it as far as they did. And it starts with, you know, following Kansas knocking out Vancouver, Philadelphia goes on and, and just owns them in the, the follow-up game. Um, I don't think anybody expected Sporting Kansas City to, to get much out of this game and certainly maybe not to win it. But Philadelphia just came at them so hard in the first half. Um, there's two very similar counter-attacking goals that Philadelphia gets and Sporting Kansas City, they just don't have the numbers back. They That's been a th- one carryover from the disaster of their last year was, for, for me, just their defensive positioning. Like, you, you're so used to seeing per- Peter Vermees' side so organized and so compact at the back. And to see them twice beaten with almost the same play, for me, was kind of disappointing from the SKC side. And certainly nobody was more disappointed than Vermees. Um, I think that that's definitely one of the things here that that Philadelphia was a seat a side that had momentum, um, and you're not surprised to see them make it to the semifinals. But um, I think that Vermees will be disappointed with how that um, that unfolded and the fact that it seemed to unfold with a um, a mistake laden performance in some ways. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I mean, basically, Sporting Kansas City just starts a bit flat, and then 15 minutes in, or within, is it 15 minutes in or within 15 minutes? <laughs> within a short time frame, they're just looking totally tired and defeated, and, you know, without a ton of a plan of how to get back. And, you know, Alan Polito does get a goal um, in stoppage time in the first half, and then they, they sort of play a fairly conservative second half that sees no further goals but it, it's disappointing to me to have that first half and then not be and then get a goal right at stoppage time and then not be able to get anything else out of that match but I don't think that takes anything away from um, Jim Curtin's side and, and the performance that they put on here that's absolutely true they 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 were great Sergio Santos has looked great throughout the tournament and especially this is one of uh, I feel like his better games Absolutely, um, yeah. with the and, and it's that second goal that has a break in uh, uh, where there's this breakthrough that he comes in to score. That's one of the the mistake laden things that I think of. But then you have this amazing um, ball forward from Brendan Aronson to set Santos up for the third. Yeah, Aronson's just turning into such a good player. Like not just to you know the. Um, you know, we know he can score goals and likes to, but just his overall coverage on the pitch um, and that that pass is just that's something players years and years older than him struggle <laughs> struggle to hit properly. So, yeah, it's, it's great, encouraging to see that. I don't remember the words exactly, but I will remember this most for um, the um, sideline interview with Vermees, where he's just like. I'm very disappointed. <laughs> How do you feel about this? 
Peter Vermees looks like uh, <laughs> one of those like stock villains in movies like Avatar, where they're just like, we need a guy with like white pointy hair, and just gonna sort of shout like an army colonel. Peter Vermees, get in here! I'm very disappointed. Yes. Well, it's going badly. We've we let up a lot of goals, and we're being very sloppy. Like he's just—it's not just good, guys. Like it's not point. good. And then there was some sort of like thing during the water break where he's just like yelling about how he doesn't want to do it or something. Oh, really? And it's it's caught that. up on the pitch. I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's been a couple days, and 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 what is time now? So I could be remembering a different game, but I see, I I believe that that was the one. Yeah, sure. Um, very entertaining on the sidelines. Um, the, uh, another sort of match that, oh, I was going to say also with, with Sporting Kansas City that in that second half, there were, I don't know if you could call them unlucky, um, because the, 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 the issues that befell them were of their own making. Mm -hmm. They did have a shot, a shot go off the crossbar and they did have a goal scored in, I think sort of like a pinging around goal line scramble thing with Polito that was called off due to a handball. Yeah. So they, they got, you know, if you, if you look at the unlucky um, percentage, if, if the luck had been a little bit more in a different way, maybe they could have made it three, three, but ultimately I kind of feel like maybe the planning of the team through the, the, the service through Polito is almost haphazard right now, where yeah. it's almost sort of like Polito having to engineer or or just sort of like improvise some stuff. Which it's kind of weird to me that given how good I can't remember if Russell played in this game or not because I know he's been kind of in and out. Um, but how good and like penetrating Johnny Russell's runs can be in his movement of the ball. It's kind of weird to me to stick him out on the wing. Like it, I mean, he's great at that position, but this is a game where maybe he could he could have been the link a bit more but again i'm not 100% certain he was on the team sheet that day so um yeah it's Speaking it's unfortunate of- for sporting kansas city but uh, i mean i i think this one this one was always going to be philly one of the uh the speaking of goals that were almost but were uh but never uh, came to pass um, I will remember the um, the the looping arc of the uh, um, Valentin Castellanos's attempt to hit a seventy yard goal mm-hmm. in New York City, Portland. Just the audacity to to see it, just be like, "Oh man, you're almost you." Just the 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 levels of almost to that, where it's like, if you would have landed that. If you would have landed, nobody would have. It's no negative. It only shows to me how how audacious a player he is. But it's sure. like if it goes in, it's like you're going to be on Sports Center highlight reels for the next ten years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think that I really had a ton of expectations going into this game. I thought Portland was the better team in this tournament, but I, I certainly have learned the hard way many times. Uh, not to underestimate New York City FC, so I thought they were going to really come in and and do something here. And they were just gifted probably the most absurd penalty of the entire tournament. Um, I mean, it's basically an arm tangle and a slight shirt tug, and letter of the mm. law, you can call it a penalty, but it's incredibly, incredibly soft. And the kind mm. of call that's... It's so, it's so early in the game, do you need to call... Like, I don't know. You have thoughts. 
<laughs> no, I, I I agree with you. The, oh, okay. those hums are those those hums are, are are agreement that I don't think it was a penalty because okay, okay. Who? I, was like, I mean, the, no, no, no. Is there no, a I secret mean, angle? Is there a drone shot that I haven't seen? I mean, like the only reason that you can you could look at the footage and call it a penalty is because there is physical contact. There's no physical contact with the ball, and the guy goes down. But that is something that the the type of contact that's being made there is so common that you yep. would have that penalty every game if it was called consistently. And given where they are in the box, I would argue he's not denying a clear and obvious uh, or a, a clear goal scoring opportunity. And that kind of quote unquote foul I, goes uncalled everywhere else on the pitch. And for me, that's kind of one of the things I'm looking for in a in a penalty is. Obviously, is there somebody denying a goal-scoring opportunity? But is there an actual foul? Like, is if if this wasn't in front of the goal, would a referee ever be calling it? Because sometimes I think there's a tendency that if there's any sort of contact around a player who's anywhere near the ball in the box, then a referee is automatically blowing the whistle and calling it a penalty. It, it's just, it's really weak for me. However the karma gods sort of answer and uh, <laughs> it's a fluffed pk in the end anyway so it, it can it carries on nil nil and no medina scored that i thought oh yeah that's right he did of course yeah 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 in the you're right because in the 27th minute sorry the thing i'm thinking about uh is from a different game Yes, we'll get to we'll get to that. I I know yeah. what you're referring to, um, <laughs> but the uh, ultimately Portland uh, continues to get in, and, and we talked a lot about what made made Orlando um, so exciting as a finalist team mm-hmm. earlier in the show. But one of the things that his that powered Portland in this game, in his one of the things that is interesting about them is that they have been so consistent in in which players they're able to rely on and, and how they execute that plan um and you have sebastian blanco come in here with this uh with this great ball that bends around defenders um you have Diego valeri subbed on, subbed on in the game um and plays this great uh one two where he he brings the ball down in the penalty area uh, passes it to the teammate to give himself some more extra time and then receives the pass back to score. So it's kind of the same, you know, you you have a, a in a sense, a sort of, you know, scoring committee. Um, mm-hmm. Not necessarily team-wide goal scoring, but, you know, there's a committee of goal scorers. <laughs> yeah. um, Who shall we send to score the goal today? That have been successful. Uh, of course, always sad for... Sean Johnson when you know because he had a I think that he did his best in in uh, in unfortunate circumstances and you saw that he made two uh, there was one double save that was really great from him yeah. um I love the final goal comes from Andy Polo who hits this amazing <laughs> strike stupid he hits this amazing strike and then he looks into the camera and sort of does this little dance where he I feel like this goal should have been arms. disallowed from it just from its dirtiness <laughs> like it's such a dirty goal that's also just so slick and i feel like his his dance and his celebration perfectly matched the exact uh feeling of the goal where it, it it's just 
he doesn't have any business scoring that goal. It's just like his second goal in 55 matches. Um, <laughs> but if you're going to do it, hey, pick the right time to do it. Um, my only other note from this game is just Blanco's been fucking absurd. Like, uh, I mean, we knew he was good, but we've talked about inconsistency with him in the past. And it's really, really hard to, like, not see him as the, the player of the tournament you know, second only maybe to Nani. Mm. I think that, uh, of course, people are, are making those two comparisons, and we're going to find out during the final, aren't we? <laughs> we sure are. Um, the uh, the remaining um, quarterfinal was the San Jose-Minnesota game, um, where, you know, it had been inter- so interesting to see, to to track San Jose through the tournament, but they... Uh, they Rolled in here. Uh, they rolled up against Minnesota, who were firing on all cylinders, and and uh, and there wasn't. Minnesota was able to sort of pick their way through um, and, and cr- uh, create and capitalize on some defensive errors. Did this one surprise you? Um, only to the extent it did surprise me because Minnesota has been doing quite well. Um. Mm. But it's almost like Minnesota's newness, almost, or the, as a as a good team, you know, people were like, people have been um, bickering online over whether or not they've they've been underrated, overrated all tournaments. So it's kind of that's that's almost the the lens now. Any game that they've played in mm. is like, you know, are they going to play two or above type, and what is type for them? Um, in this case. You had um, great. I'm trying to look at the. Uh, oh, I didn't. I didn't fill in the name of the person that scored the first goal. But Minnesota's own team. Um, um, Robin Ludd. Robin Ludd uh, taps in at 20 minutes to get uh, to get things going, and and then they score again a minute later. And you know, uh, to have that two goal advantage uh, 20 minutes in, um, regardless of of. It's like I had spent more time thinking about San Jose, but it's like they're not gonna. They are yeah. the uh, uh, they they never really had an in in this game. Not really, no. And I mean, I they've had moments, but defensively, you know, these, these are just two sort of different, but two very big mistakes at the back that lead to these two goals. Um, and credit to Minnesota for doing the damage. But within ninety seconds, they're down two nil, and you know. San Jose has proven time and again that they can come back from that. But in this type of scenario, in order to be making it through a tournament, you need to be better than that. You need to have something else in your uh, your footlocker, <laughs> your tool belt, to throw at a situation rather than just hope you can outscore them like 5-4. Um, one of the interesting things to me about San Jose is that, I mean, we've talked about how good Vega is and, and what a... Um, like just um, team-changing player he's been for San Jose. But I felt like he had a pretty rocky tournament. Um, you know, I know he's not always backed up by the most aware or well-positioned defense, but there was just a few goals in this match uh, that I, I just kind of felt like, you know, it, maybe Vega's feeling too much like he also has to also play center back, but just isn't quite in the right place, isn't quite ready for the shot that's coming. Um and, and Minnesota just walk all over this one and or all over them in this one 
And it was great to see... I had totally forgotten about this player until he scored the final goal. But Marlon Harrison, I was like, whatever Marlon happened to Harrison. him? I knew that he left Colorado, um, but I hadn't heard his name in a while. So it was good to see that that's where he's he's landed and he seals the deal and it's 4-1 Minnesota. Yeah, uh, they uh, they got everything in with that. The The, what was the third one? I had nine, but uh, there was no Minnesota nine. So I think that it, I, I liked the strike from, I think it must have been, uh, who was it? Who was it? I can actually just look it up. Um, was it the third, the third goal I quite liked. Oh, yeah. Amory it was another, another, another shot from uh, um, another thing that sort of bends around uh, a little... It, uh, with that one, you can really say that he really was not particularly um, contested or pressured that well, but he got a little nice bending goal in with his left. So he's mm-hmm. making this run down and is able to strike it, which I liked. Yeah. I mean, it, it really felt like the only in San Jose had in this game was the penalty. Um, yeah. And Mag- Magnus Eriksson, I believe, and his stat is eight for eight now in PKs, which is a pretty impressive MLS uh penalty record but i mean literally beyond that it's like they scored the penalty and then (laughs) five minutes later minnesota scores again it's like okay well you had your fun um we'll just take this game from here thanks boys unfortunately minnesota would then go on to the semifinals oh yeah and have uh and run into two goals from nanny in this in the first half um that eventually create eventually ended up being the buffer and his first goal is just like out of sheer force of will from nani he's almost on the ground on his bum and somehow still pokes it past the goalkeeper which i i always like and and just shows that you know the high caliber high caliber world-class players don't just score incredible goals from far out although he does that shortly thereafter um but it's just you know, it's making the right run. It's it's just following every instinct until the ball is in the back of the net. Um, and if you're falling down, why not have an extra little kick at the ball while you're doing it and see if you can get a goal? And that's what he does. Um, I also uh, the thing that I that that creates that situation for me um, is the long ball from Janssen to start it up mm. that I thought was very good. Um, the the thing that uh, the commentators kept sort of picking up was this battle between um, Nani and Hassani Dotson. How did you feel that um, that uh, that matchup went? <laughs> well, I feel like Dotson's probably going to lose some sleep over it. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I felt like overall he certainly did his best. I think for me where you see it is really on the second goal cuz I believe it's it is Dotson who's supposed to be covering him and and kind mm-hmm. of is. And I think he's trying to play um the angle and he he sees a, an open player so he's covering two and he's thinking Nani's going to pass it to the open player who might then take a run in and take the shot, but at a certain point he he kind of backs off and then Nani just has essentially a free kick because there's no pressure on him and it is kind of a, a painfully naive moment where you're like i mean why why 
Like people used to do it with Pirlo, where he, Pirlo would be standing there with the ball, and then a defender would back off. And you're like, he doesn't just have to pass it, you know. Like he can at will hit it from there. Um, and it's well, exactly what Nani does with with just such amazing skill and precision. It's it's a fantastic goal. Well, it's one reason why a a player of this type, when you're looking at people who are coming over from Europe, um, can be successful. That is a is that they can um, contribute both with passing and attack. Because if you had like that's why that's that's why everybody thought that Rudy was not going to be successful, and ultimately why he was successful when he came over. Because yeah, everybody thought he wasn't going to, he was only ever going to score goals, and he was able to be a provider in a way that people didn't really um, anticipate. And Nanny is is proving challenging to figure out in terms yeah. of is he going to set people up or is he going to go for it. And that's and that's the quality of the the signing. And I think the the Rooney comparison is apt. I mean, it's unfortunately Rooney couldn't see it through. Um, and continue on that path. But it, it felt a bit like a reinvention. And maybe that's a bit too strong for Nani, because I, I feel like he's just he's got the quality that he can go anywhere and do anything. But he didn't come in resting on his laurels. He came in here, as I said earlier, with I felt like with something to prove and really didn't want to be seen as coming in to retire. He said all the same things everybody who's come to Orlando has said, that he wants to win trophies with them. I just think... Nani was the first person to mean it. <laughs> I think if Nani had signed with anybody, he would say the same thing. But, you know, he not only has the ability to do it, but the, the quality. But it shouldn't take away from an Orlando team that defensively has been incredibly sound throughout the tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got incredible speed. They're moving the ball well. And it's funny because without any sense of irony while I was watching the game, I was like, Man, Orlando really plays a lot like Dallas used to play. And then I was like, oh, yeah. Hmm. <laughs> Why that for? Why do? <laughs> uh, Oscar Pereja, you sly devil. Um, Mason Toy does get one for Minnesota towards the end. And they have a couple of half chances. Like, there's almost uh, a, a, there's like a five-minute period after Mason Toy scores where you think, Minnesota could maybe tie this up. Like, it's within the realm of possibility, maybe not likely. Um, and then they just get hit super late into stoppage time. Um, with They're just throwing everybody forward, and I think this is maybe part of Orlando's game plan a bit, of score early goals, hang on, and then Minnesota's going to have to throw everything at them, and then they can just hit on the counter. Um Benji Michelle scores the final goal that seals Orlando and Minnesota's fate. And for me, is one of the, the better counterattacking goals where you see a striker take a really nice first touch and rather than just running onto the ball as fast as he possibly can and inadvertently hitting it too close to the goalkeeper, he really he times his run beautifully. He takes a great first touch, um, lets the goalkeeper commit, which is poor old Tyler Miller and then just goes around him and side foots it in for a really calm finish. Um, and and having ability like that um, from a player like Michelle, who's been kind of quiet at times for Orlando, I think is is a really good sign of things to come for this team. Really ex- really well executed, and it almost felt to me sort of like a, um, 
like a hockey empty net goal. Like there was, of course, there was a goalkeeper yeah. in the net, but but in terms of everything, well, there wasn't being, first. <laughs> uh, in terms of everything being committed up high, where it's yeah. like really the reason why that was the case is because they have everything jammed up the pitch, and then you know there's so much room for Michelle to run once he gets the opportunity. Well, and just and how many times have you seen plays like that happen, especially in MLS, where you're like, oh, "Here we go," and then it's a heavy touch. It's he waits too long. Um, it's just you know running straight on into the goalkeeper. All kinds of things happening, but he's just so calm throughout it, and it's such a calm finish as well. Um, considering he's he's been pretty inconsistent, I thought that was a really good showing for him to to go this is going in no matter what and I don't care if it doesn't look pretty <laughs> this one's going if I have to walk it in that's how this is going to happen excellent uh, the the Portland Philadelphia game was interesting it was sort of another I don't know why Minnesota and Philadelphia sometimes feel so easy to group together as these teams that are are are, are trying to improve their 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 position in the league but they uh, ran up against Portland and uh, and that is where their run ended. Yeah, and I I think it might have even been before this game. I can't remember who it was, but it might have been Taylor Twelman saying, you know, like the difference between these two teams is um, Sebastian Blanco, and Portland has him, and Philadelphia does not have him or a player like him, and that turned <laughs> to be kind of prophetic. Um, before we dive into the like the nitty gritty of the game. Do you feel like it's a fair fair thing to say at this point that the East just really struggles against the West still and, and that sort of dynamic has, has played out yet again? There's maybe a year and a bit there where the East, the Eastern Conference teams seem to be able to handle the West, but uh, this tournament feels like it's kind of been uh, Western opponents able to deal with the better Eastern opponents, or am I just seeing things that wasn't necessarily how things went in the in the other semifinal but mm-hmm. um the i'm just scrolling through a little bit to see if there was uh it I kind of seems san jose as a team in any conference <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're um, in their own conference of whatever the hell they want to do i think um i think that i would agree with that I think that that is in a sense because if you look at like if you look at the teams that are are out or near the you know in the um, the table is such a weird thing in MLS right now because there's only five games on it and it yeah. it's may not be the easiest way to organize your mind but the West has more um, straightforward I think dangerous attacking teams. And the East has more teams that are trying to, um, I feel like, like build things on systems a little more. Is, is, is that, yeah. um, is that a, a, a broad based generalization that you, uh, that, that fits with your experience? I'll allow it. Yeah, no, <laughs> I, I, th- I think that that's fair. I mean, obviously, uh, Yes. The, the asterisk here is, I mean, this is a large general sweeping uh, statement, but uh, I think that's fair to say is that the, the Western teams are maybe a little bit more dangerous in attack and Eastern teams are a little bit more organized and methodical. Sure. Yeah, I'll go with that one. 
So um, it's like the Eastern teams are always trying to to figure each other out. And then the Western teams just show up to these West versus East teams ready for... Some Western teams show up to these confrontations ready for a gun show. Yeah, a little bit, I think. I mean, I I definitely think there's teams that are maybe a little bit more uh, ready for it. Um, Toronto, maybe not in this tournament, but, you know, usually Toronto shows up and, and seems really ready for things against some Western opponents. Anyway... Uh, I, I mean, I, admittedly, I, I feel like Portland are kind of my my favorites in this tournament at, at this point. I think they're they're playing the best soccer. They're still a little bit of a wild card because they're still conceding goals, and it, it's not always perfect. But, um, you know, having a player like Abobasi finding his stride at, at this point in in uh, proceedings certainly bodes well for them. Um, and really this is a game that it feels all Portland for, you know, what Philadelphia did to their opponents earlier in the the tournament. It really feels like Portland kind of did it to them where they actually, at least through the first half conceded a ton of possession and just waited for their opportunities. The first of which came in the 13th minute and, and is put away by Abobasi. Yep. That's a great one. Um, the, I just had my uh, my note for that. Yes, he he is able to sort of stay ahead of his marker on the uh, on the cross in and head it home. Yeah, um, um, and he's in kind of an awkward spot for it too, but unmarked and does the right thing. So just before halftime, and 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 it's I don't want to be unfair to any <laughs> players. I don't want to be unfa- I don't want to be unfair to any players. But when you bring no. up that quote about he doesn't they. Philadelphia doesn't have Blanco or a player like Blanco. The number one thing that you could ask is, well, what about Sergio Santos? And mm-hmm. it is unfortunate for them that great, Santos, great who has had a great tournament, is not able to collect on this band and is not able broadly over the course of the game to get uh, results against Portland. Yeah. Uh, and and this is just such a an awkward moment for me from, from such a, a good player who's really... Um, seemed to progress quite quickly um, for Philadelphia. I was also like, as he's taking the penalty, they're like, yeah, he's never taken a penalty in his professional career before. <laughs> and, the, and and that's like, and the sentence finishes and then it's like one, two, three, and he skies it. And it's like, well, so Jim, come here a minute. Um, so usually in these types of scenarios, you don't just pick who you think your best player is. You pick a player who's actually taken a penalty before or, like, practices on a regular basis. I mean, that might have been the game plan. Maybe he's been hitting them all time, all the time in practice, but maybe it's a bit of nerves. But it's a very poor penalty. Um, and it, it's unfortunate because it feels like that, that was Philadelphia's lifeline. Like, that really could have maybe changed um, the tempo of the game Portland likes being in control. They don't always play as well when, um, when they have their their backs to the wall, or we've seen moments where they they haven't been able to claw their way back. Um, Sebastian Blanco keeps being Sebastian Blanco in this game, and gets another goal. I think that takes him up to five or six goals for the tournament. Um, so. Yeah, 
I was going to say in terms of what the difference is there is if you come in in, in Portland being on the um, the attacking end of things, is that they have um, oh it's both forwards that they subbed in. They they make a, a a set of forward line subs on sort of fifty six that like I don't know if it's a if it's a ramping down or what have you to bring in Nesgoda um, and and Andy Polo. Um, mm-hmm. But in in any case, it seems like that you know if you had gone into halftime at one one, that they may have continued in the in the shape that they had. Yeah, yeah, and you know they they do get a goal back in the eighty fifth minute through uh, Andrew Andrew Wooten, um, but you know and they did have chances in the second half. I, I nice little rebound. To, fair to them. Yeah, they they did have a, a couple of near opportunities and certainly moments of possession that you thought could have gone differently but a thing that I feel like lets Philadelphia down a little bit tactically is there seems to be a certain point in a certain type of game where they just kind of run out of ideas and they're still a very good side and they're still very well organized and they're still very defensively sound but in terms of getting themselves back into the game it's just a little bit too slow up the pitch they don't have, you know, a really crafty midfield player that can go box to box. And it just feels like their build-up play is it's just a little bit, you know, too soft. Especially against a team like Portland that just presses so much and puts so much pressure on the ball um, on, on and on other teams that you feel like Philadelphia, when they're in possession, need to be going f- forward better and, and sooner. And that just never quite materializes for them, which sets the scene for the final we all wanted. Orlando <laughs> and Portland. Portland, get to... I. There's a broader question here to ask, which is where... What level of importance you think? You know, they're, they're, they had, the league announced that they intend to try and hold playoffs today, so this, this year. So this is not necessarily an MLS Cup. Which to me is almost unwise. I, you're, you're here. You had everybody here, except two teams, I guess. Um, it, but for the moment, in retrospect, I guess we'll be able to make those comparisons. But for the moment, I think that we could look at this as is Portland's return to a final, uh, a cup final for the first time since their loss to Atlanta two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and perhaps a, a chance to avenge that if you were uh, um, if you were thinking it along that line of things. Yeah, I mean, I feel like they they have a good incentive for the cup. I mean, even if it's a largely symbolic one. I mean, a Concacaf spot and a bucket load of money never hurt anyone. That's true. So it's it's not for nothing. Um, I think the best part about this final for me is. It's an t- opportunity for two teams, um, and I, I really think about, you know, the Savarese era of Portland is really a very different team than Porter's team that has won MLS Cups, um, that you're really seeing, like, this is a great final between two teams that they don't, they'll take whatever trophy is up there. I mean, you could give That's it any name, right. play the tournament anywhere. They're, they're off, both teams would really love a cup of some sort. A trophy for just coming out and trying, they'll take it. 
and bo and both teams deserve this honest crack at it because both teams have worked extremely hard. Um, Orlando, through a number of coaches, I mean, the, the, their rebuild, <laughs> this iteration of the rebuild started just prior to Pareja coming in, and I think they were moving in the right direction before that. Um, but you really have an opportunity for two teams that have been um, overall not terrible. I think Portland is, well, not arguably, Portland has been much better than Orlando in the last few years. But... Yeah, it's it's just going to be a fun final, I think, because both teams really want that trophy. It'll be fun, and, it, and it's you know two teams that have that um, that have a, a forward looking um, attacking style. The uh, it really feels you know you mentioned earlier that a, a lot of credit has to be given to um, Orlando on the defense, but specifically you know the wingers. Uh, John Moutinho and Ruan have been oh, yeah. everywhere in their games. Yeah. Um, and so they are able to really move the ball um, sort of up the wings and up the sides. And I think that that is something that's going to create an interesting pressure cooker for um, for Portland, especially if Portland decide to give them a little bit of the ball. Yeah. And I, I know you hate doing this kind of thing, but we have to do it. Because it's <laughs> it's it's chill soccer. Who we're just here. Gonna... We're just here for fun. You know what? You're right. That's you how you. Gonna... Who do you think is going to win it though? That's how you rate this over over whether compared to an MLS Cup is don't don't worry about it. It's a it's a cup final. It's a cup final with some some great players in the league and some some uh, some interesting coaches, and it will be. Portland two, Orlando one. Hmm. All right, all right. I, what's your I, What's your call? No, I feel like that's a, a very good prediction and very possible, and perhaps even more likely than mine. Um, I'm. I think it could be three two Orlando. I mean, there's going to be goals. If there's five goals in this game, I don't care who scores them and when and for what team, but I want five goals out of this game. That's a great. That's a great. Either either result would be would be good. I I I in my moment I wanted to open my, I wanted my op to open my heart to the idea of uh, of of Orlando getting that sentimental win, and then I thought the cold, efficient, ruthlessness. That's not necessarily true. Of, uh, As a, of I mean, our listeners can't see it, but it's also really fun to hear you say those words with a white caps flag behind you, wearing a white caps jersey, <laughs> just talking <laughs> up Portland Timbers as if it ain't no thing. <laughs> You're going straight to white caps hell, Bates. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, I mean, it's it is it's so hard to call. I mean, neither team has anything to lose. No one's going to be upset at either team if they have a terrible game and and lose. They'll just be like, well, well done for getting there. Um. But I just I feel like, you know, if if we're talking about a, a Nani side versus a Blanco side, I I think that Orlando maybe has a, a few more tricks up their sleeves than maybe we give them credit for, and Portland is very, very good. So I it's it's going to be a great game, but I think if if we're just gonna be talking about who can outscore who, I think Orlando might be able to edge this one. And I will not be at all surprised if they don't, and Portland takes control of this game and wins it. Um, on Saturday, 
the announcement for um, the the long rumored announcement for what will be happening at the conclusion of the tournament was made uh, in terms of the the schedule for regular season games following MLS's back dropping. Um, there is a lot to worry about with what has been announced. They are planning to play 18 more matches in three phases of six matches each um, mm-hmm. with the playoffs starting November 8th and MLS Cup scheduled for December 12th. Um, the I think that you have really seen some issues in other leagues um, including Major League Baseball trying to make home market games work. Um, yeah. For all of the things that were, complaint, were complaints about the bubble, home market is so much worse <laughs> than all that because you have so much travel and you're, you're well, bringing people from, from place to place. And the thing, like, Don Garber just truly lives in, in fantasy land because he, he goes, he, in the press release for this, he's talking about, like, well, all the things that we learned and, you know, we made mistakes and you know we learned valuable lessons and you're like sure that still resulted in putting the health of everybody at risk and two teams dropped out which is like that's not the bad part the bad part is you put two entire teams at risk um which then of course exponentially increased the risk for everybody else and we're just very lucky that nobody on those teams got seriously ill or died yes like when you're talking about lessons learned, you're like, we were able to gamble and nobody died. But that doesn't mean they won't. That just means it, it didn't happen. And he, he sort of goes on to talk about, like, well, we're going to do our best. And, like, if we have to change things or amend things or reevaluate, we will. I have uh, it here. I, I, Cincinnati writer Laurel Fowler tweeted that he said, we're not saying that what we're going to do is something that's not going to have issues. If we have issues, we'll deal with them. But we believe it makes sense for us to give it a try. Yeah. And then he goes on to say something to the effect of, you know, we don't want to operate in fear. I'm like, caution, caution and responsibility are not fear. Why does everything have to come down to the, like, we cannot let the virus defeat us. Great. Stay at home. Wear a mask. Wash your hands. <laughs> Don't travel around the most infected country on the planet with hordes of people playing soccer games. Here's the thing that that I dislike about this idea that you're going to say we learned lessons from the bubble. Is that everybody, you went to do something really risky. Everyone yelled at you for doing the risky thing. You, the thing that people yelled about happening happened. Yeah. Um. But at the end of the day, everybody, you know, hopefully ended up uh, safe out of the situation. So now you're going to do something even riskier to say we learned lessons from doing the bubble. And the lessons we learned is we're not going to do the bubble again is wild to me. Now, all of this is related on a principle that I think that is important, which is employers putting their employees both players and, and staff of teams at risk that mm-hmm. that there's no reason other than money that these things have to be done if they are going to put as you said people at risk of compromising their health for the rest of their life or at risk of dying mm-hmm. but the thing 
that is even more frustrating for me is that they are now also talking about allowing fans in stadiums. That conversation is a different conversation to what is risky about having players do it. Because at the very least, with the bubble, you are concerned about an employer putting their employees in a situation where their health is at risk. Now we're talking about, you know, they're, they're say they're going to, to let people uh, consider doing limited attendance, uh, fan attendance in jurisdictions that will allow it. There have been sports and wrestling organizations that do this around. It's, it's happened in Japan that you can try to like do limited attendance. But again, Japan is a different situation. To try and do also, some... It's so wild to me that sports officials are looking at, like, so what market will allow us to do the riskier thing? And then they'll be like, well, we'll try it there because we're allowed to do it. And it's like, that means there's a lack of restrictions in place, which isn't a good thing in this particular scenario. Like, this isn't just free market capitalism where it's like hooray no restrictions we can invite people and make us we can sell popcorn and make as much money as we please like that means that somebody has failed critically at their job and there's not restrictions in place there should be it's not everybody is super competent and every scenario is so different that one city in the united states is like you know what we're we're chill here i think we'll just uh allow fans into stadiums because everything's fine like it's a disaster everywhere. And if we've seen anything, it's what is today's disaster is going to shift. So you can say, well, this city's fine and has been fine, or they already hit their peak and think numbers are coming down. But we've seen time and time again, when you open things up and allow large amounts of people into the same space. Oh my God. Dallas, I need to go Dallas. One of them is going to be Dallas, and and they're looking at letting in 5,000 people to their stadium, which is, um, you know, not the worst Dallas admission number I've ever heard. <laughs> um, the Wow. You, you brought s- that up just to make that joke, and I respect you for it. No, I have a point, actually. The point <laughs> is that you, you then see people in Facebook comments say, like, like in these jurisdictions... There's one of the other issues that we have to talk about when we talk about the states and COVID is people. It's one thing to have people come in to the shows and to think, are they going to follow the rules and are they going to be responsible? And you have people in the Facebook comments, these posts saying, I don't think it's realistic that I should have to wear a mask when I go to this game. If they're only letting 5,000 people in. Yeah. I mean, the the do you also get to sign your do not resuscitate order as you will come into the stadium how does that work the thing is is that the the thing is beyond the whole point about employers this will shape the region in the country like like in, in and it's not impossible to think the country's response to the pandemic overall like like people are trying to bring into control a deadly out- outbreak and this is more more than a risky situation between a limited amount of players and staff Man. this is creating a massive confusing hinge point 
that uh, that will com- will complicate contract uh, uh, contact tracing will complicate the area's response to a continuing deadly pandemic. <laughs> and, exactly, and it, and it, the only reason is because people are willing to take that risk and put money over people's lives. It's not that things have been well managed there, or it's not as risky. Like the stunning lack of awareness around, or. or I mean, I, I know they must be aware, but just to say, like, like if MLS has learned any lessons, shouldn't it be that things need to be applied the same way across every single possible scenario? Because if you have inconsistencies, that could shut down a lot of things really quickly and have a huge impact? Yes. Uh, uh, hate it. The other... Uh... The other little pieces of news, we were looking at um, Jesse Gonzalez from uh, the goalkeeper of Dallas has had his contract terminated due to a, um, which is now, I, I suppose, the the result of the process that started when um, he was taken in for um, domestic abuse allegations, uh, I believe charges in uh, June. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. the, that will be his end in the league. Um, we are looking at uh, the idea of Inter Miami signing a Juventus player. Sure, I mean, why not? But shooty, we're looking at the idea of uh, of um, the Whitecaps uh, saying goodbye to Imbam Wang. Yeah, it turns out our in some ways our last episode, I was like, did we? pick a little bit too much on him was that maybe not the right analysis was i just chasing my tail with that one and then like a few days later the rumors started surfacing that he was on his way out and i was like well i guess there was something in the wind i guess it's not i guess it's not uh confirmed yet i have some feelings about how this all this just makes me more salty about the whole idea from two seasons ago about Turfing so many um, good players, and then yeah. bringing in such a new a new slate of players, because as you as you stated, you know we can talk a little bit more about this next week maybe, but um, you never know how you you just can't count on the idea that a player is going to turn out to be what they promised, and sometimes that pressure can be um, counterproductive. And especially when there's so many unknown elements about it, right? I, I think if you were talking about bringing Inbom in a year or two earlier, not, and I know that you know it's not fantasy; you can't just snap your fingers and make it happen. But that could have been a very different situation with maybe a bit more of a, a core and having him somewhere to slot in. But he has moved around so much, um, and we really haven't seen him develop at all. Like I, I don't see a better player than when he came in, um, you know, or even prior to that. I don't think he's necessarily regressed, but to have put his time in, and and as we said, like uh, or as you pointed out, it's not a done deal. But it seems like there's a number of clubs that are are interested, um, and I think a number of them have been interested this whole time. Um, yeah, it's certainly not always the wisest thing to just keep always reinventing the wheel because um we've seen you know far better players than Inbom struggle as well uh, to fit into a, an ever-changing side 
without a clear role to play. And and the Whitecaps have been guilty of this a number of times, which is buying kind of a, you know a really uh, technically gifted player that you know they're they're just sort of dazzled by the skill, um, and and the skill is undoubtedly there but they don't fit the system. So it's kind of just like, well, this is a really good player. We should move on him because uh, we may not be able to get another signing like this, which in theory makes sense. But if you don't know where that player is going to play or how exactly they're going to fit into your side and, and you just think like, well, that'll be a good problem to have, it's actually fairly seldom the case in soccer. It's like you actually, it, it's helpful to know what role you envision a player to, to play. And it's not that Mark Dos Santos didn't have a plan. It's just that, I mean, he's completely revamped what his playing style was going to be for this club. Um, he's revamped positions a number of times. And sure, it's it's fine to be flexible. But again, a player of where Inbaum's at in his career and, and at his age, I think, needs a bit of consistency and really clear direction. And it's it's just really unfortunate that it seems very likely he's going to become another name on that very long list of players that were brought in and nobody really knew about but everybody got excited by and everybody saw the the technical ability and then they just kind of petered out it turns out the identity is sometimes a thing that you have to build from the players that you have as opposed to uh something that you've pulled from a hat or drawn on a a a locker room board intense um (laughs) the uh the next prospects for soccer games in Canada. We 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 got through all that stuff about MLS, and we didn't talk about the thing that was the 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 subject of our beginning line, which was that um, the Canadian teams are just not on the schedule for Phase One yet because they haven't figured out where they're going to play. Um, my mm. understanding is that a, a part of that challenge is that um, Toronto gave. BMO Field to uh, TF to the NHL. Oops, 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 oops. oops, oops. Um, We're not going to need this this year. <laughs> so the the next best chance until we hear back from that for soccer games taking place in Canada are the Island Games, which uh, are uh, Camp PL's bubble tournament is um, is moving towards uh, happening to, to with a start date. Of the thirteenth, um, all two hundred. Uh, they they announced that uh, today that all two hundred seventy six players um, and other staff members. Well, the, the press release is dated August eleventh. We're talking on the tenth, so that's not a press release from the future. Says that they uh, that everybody has tested. That's negative. when that's learning from your mistakes and having a plan, Don Garber. Press we start from the future. We start uh, uh, at ten at one p.m. Eastern on August thirteenth with um, Forge FC versus Cavalry, uh, and we roll with games all the way through to uh, September sixth in the preliminary uh, in the preliminary round. Oh, I'm getting sweaty thinking about it. That's intense. That is a <laughs> that's a schedule. All games on uh, all games on one soccer. I mean. As approaches go to things, uh, and I know it's been very frustrating for folks waiting for details on this, but um, 
I think it's fair to say that taking your time right now to make decisions and trying to really think things through and get consensus is a, is a good approach if indeed you feel like you have to do the thing. Um, I, I have fewer concerns here. I mean, it, it makes me a little iffy and I, and I feel weird about <laughs> officially rubber stamping, not that anyone cares my opinion, but saying like, yes, we should be doing sports right now, but this feels like a fairly well thought out approach no it's it's you know there's no cross-border travel um everybody to the the big thing that both nwsl and mls struggled with bubble wise was the early stage of the bubble so yeah. if they if they got everybody here without positive tests that's a, a a huge improvement on where those two other leagues were with it and part of the reason for it is is because jurisdictions players are coming from in Canada are in a better situation when it comes to the virus and they're playing in an area that has very low cases. That's yeah. the... And, and that, if anything, it feels like the the risk is actually trans, COVID transmission into the communities rather than like, um, you know, people going there, getting it, and then transmitting it to each other. Yeah. So it's... Uh, I, I quite enjoyed uh, one soccer reporter Oliver Platt referring to uh, the Parc des Princes, Edward Island uh, being <laughs> the area. It, it looks like it's uh, it, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how it looks there on the streaming channels of One Soccer, but uh, it'll be interesting to um, to see this tournament once it, it kicks up and see what they're able to, to put out there and hope that they will continue to um, conduct it safely. Yeah, and I mean it, it's it, it's exciting that they're getting to do something with it. It was it was really starting to feel maybe like there wasn't going to be a CanPL season, um, and and I think that they would have been well within their rights to just say you know what it it's not worth it. I hope they're not taking too many risks as a new league, feeling like the you know the financial pressure is just really on for them to to try to get something out of this, but. Um, you know, it, it should be interesting, and as plans go, it, it doesn't seem like the worst one in the world, which the big thing being you're not traveling to a hotbed of COVID infection to hold your tournament. Number one on the list. Is there a lot of COVID there? Yes. Well, do not go to that place. Well, this is the oh. thing people are going to ask. What's, why, what's the secret to making the tournament work that, that in, in not getting into problems with it? And if you look between the MLS and the NWSL one, the biggest difference is just the numbers. Yeah. The numbers of the of the local community. Yeah. Um, until tomorrow and next week, uh, where can we find you online? You can catch me online talking defensive tactics with Patrice Bernier at That's So MLS on Twitter and Instagram. Where can we find you? You can find me online at Team Bates, www.team-bates.com. You can find this podcast at thatsomeless.com and Apple Podcast and Stitcher and wherever you uh, find great podcasts. Please rate, review, and subscribe. Please do those things. Also, thank you to everyone who's been listening. Um, it's been nice to like put podcasts back out into the world and then actually see lots of people listening to it, which is great. Yeah! <laughs> I wasn't sure there for a while. Of I was like, what, what's our um, shelf life here if we're not doing shows? Will people remember us? 
Well, I'm Thank so you. excited that Thanks. we get to listen, that we get to uh, chat with y'all and, uh, and enjoy some soccer together. Heck yeah. And until we talk to you next, don't get sent off.